right, everybody, welcome to another audio only edition of Movies Are Dead. Um, unfortunately, no video this week for the second consecutive week because I have to get my COVID vaccine, the second dose, and you know, I don't want to get sick. In between now and then, I'm on the one yard line about to score a touchdown. And I need to get the second dose without catching COVID. So that's why. Uh, audio only. Boris, okay. how's it going? It's fine, Nicholas. What's the it's, matter? It's okay. What's the matter? No, it's great. It's fine. It is what it is, as they say. I see. I prefer it's what it is. I like that. It's what it's, yeah. It's what it is. That's, know? yeah, correct. Yeah, so. How are you feeling? Oh, much better, much better. COVID-1, first dose, uh, side effects were pretty gnarly. I got sick for an entire week. Good. Mm -hmm. uh, no COVID, got tested just to make sure because I'm a fucking good person. That's why. And I care about people. Um, they went, it went negative. So thank, thank the Lord. So great. Doing much Good better. Stuff. Yeah. What's the best movie you saw this week? Best movie. Yep. Mm -hmm. I don't think I even watched any movies because I've become obsessed with eight and a half. I've watched eight and a half three times oh, really? since we last spoke. Um, every time I watch it, I pull something away. So in total, I've watched it four times. And I can see why people watch this movie multiple times. Because mm -hmm. you, you can watch this movie so many times. And I agree. Something, something new each time. And um, maybe, maybe not. We'll be getting the Fellini box set to review. Who knows? It could be a surprise where we review the... Uh, maybe uh, one of our three viewers can get you a birthday present. <laughs> we have three viewers. That's awesome. That's like cool. three. That's like three consistent. Get the fuck out of here, yeah. dude! That's amazing. I'm always surprised when people. Anytime somebody's like, "I watched your thing on YouTube," or like, "I've seen your," or like, "I've seen your short film on YouTube," I'm always like, "What are you talking about?" Or like, or they're like, "I listened to your music." I'm like, "You what? You wasted your time? Thank you so much." You know, I'm always surprised when people say they watch something or listen to something so um thank you to our listeners or few listeners but hey man that's what it is right so uh, yeah we appreciate it no yeah so we might be getting the Fellini box set who knows we'll do a, a review go through each movie you know talk about it unveil it show it off stuff like that yeah yeah so I guess why we're here this week, we're late to the party, but a little uh, my Scorsese, but a little article. Yeah. It wasn't as controversial as its first one that came out last year about Marvel movies not being cinema, but yeah, it's, uh, 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 I guess it, people only care online. <laughs> it's not a real thing. Um, but anyway, here an article for Harper's. And it essentially talks about Fellini. Harper's Bazaar. That's, that's the fashion one. <laughs> oh, is it? Harper's is just for, you know, 
Oh, it's for intellectuals. Yeah, exactly. It's for people who go to, you know, coffee shops. And... It's for like boomers and like a little bit of Gen Xers. And that's the intellectuals. <laughs> yeah. And like kids who have their parents' money to spend on nice <laughs> expensive magazines. Um, but anyway, he talks about Fellini. He talks about eight and a half. Yeah. He talks about how the movie industry has changed since then, since the 60s. Oh, yeah. When Eight and a Half came out. And he gets into talking about how now most people decide what to watch based on algorithms. What Netflix or Hulu or whatever other streaming service uh, wants them to watch and not essential, not something that they pick out or someone recommends to them, but something that is recommended by a computer. I mean, I'm just pulling up the article right now for reference. I mean, it is so wonderfully uh, written. I'm not just saying that because it's Scorsese, but you can actually feel his nostalgia. You can Mm -hmm. feel like the bygone era, you know, and um, just the way it's set up and written and the way he writes, like for instance, this, like this sentence right here, like right here where it says, he walks down LaGuardia Place to Bleecker, past the Village Gate and the Bitter End to Bleecker Street <laughs> Cinema, which is showing through a glass darkly, shoot the piano player and love at 20 and La Note. Yes. All yeah. I mean, like, what is it? One, two, three, four. Four great movies right there, all playing at the same cinema. Like, dude, that's insane. Like, you know, like. So, you know, you can look at this a couple ways. A, you can be like, man, this guy wrote a nostalgia piece. B, you know, it's a bitter old man. Oh, and he's, he's reliving the past. Or C, you can take it as criticism, which I think it is. I think it's more of like a little bit of A and C where it's just like, you know, you can feel his nostalgia, but also like he is very critical of what we're going through right now in terms of like the streaming TV renaissance. Completely, and, yeah. you know, and, you know, well, uh, we were talking about this a little before about uh, the Golden Globe nominations, right? And mm-hmm. I was just looking at the list, man. And, and I'm just like, I've never felt so disconnected to a certain list of movies nominated. I know it's awards and all that jazz and all that mumbo jumbo. Yeah. And I don't put stock into that stuff too much, but just looking at the list, I've, I've never felt a list that's been so like, ugh, like it's just like, ugh, you know what I mean? Like it's, it, I looked at it and I was like, geez, is that the year of movies? Like what the, you know what I mean? They want to hobnob celebrities. They want to hang out with good looking people. So which, which, I mean, out of all the awards lists, like who do I consider? Like, I don't even, I don't take the Oscars seriously. I don't take uh, Golden Globe seriously, but I like to look at the list for reference and going like, oh yeah, I can see that. No, I can't see that. So should I just go by like the Independent Spirit Awards? Critics Association, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I mean, if you want to find new stuff, you just got to find film writers whose trust, whose taste you, you align with the most. And um, whether, whether you find them through Twitter or their websites or the reviews, it's just a matter of finding stuff that you haven't really heard of. No. You talk about in the mainstream, you got to go to offbeat places to find that kind of stuff. 
I just want a place or a critic where they just talk about the movies uh-huh. and like their Twitter and social media is just free of any political mumbo jumbo. Yeah. You know, it's just free of it. I'm just, you know what, Boris, I've been thinking, I want things to go back to the nineties. Remember the nineties? No. Sitcoms, everything was so like lighthearted, right? Granted, there is a lot of despair and things weren't really <laughs> the same. But I mean, like the country has to go back to this point where it's just like, hey man, we're not we're not thinking about that anymore, man. Let's just let's just go with the flow, man. You know what I mean? Well, if you have to think about it, there's a lot of people who are suffering all over the world, especially in this country. Yeah, so it's not really a matter of you can like, oh, let's go back to the nineties. I know. Listen to Smash Mouth and <laughs> Smash Mouth. But watch yeah. the Austin Powers movies. It's uh, it's just we've become more aware of what. Yeah kind of world we live in and it right. is unfair <laughs> suffering and pain and people are just apt to make not people but corporations are apt to exploit the general public and make money and they don't care if they have to murder an art from to do it they're gonna do it and usually people who identify with these sorts of properties harry potter star wars Avengers, <laughs> they're going to identify with that and defend the corporation's they will isn't that so Even, strange yeah it's bizarre but they're gonna defend those corporations and companies because they feel a kinship with the product they're creating i know it's Even just that so... winds up killing movies film cinema whatever yeah. you want to call it yeah that's where we're heading yeah i mean let's go back to scorsese's new york times article now now yeah. in that one published in november 2019 mm-hmm. you know he says like Maybe if I grew up with it, maybe I would be into it. But even then, you know, about Marvel movies, right? Yeah, Marvel movies are still the same formulaic thing over and over. It's it's only entertainment. It's not a movie. Mm -hmm. And I I agree with him. I hundred percent agree with him. Yeah, it's weird because I didn't really grow up with that. I mean, like, I I don't know. I mean, like, I know a lot of people my age who watch those movies. I haven't met a person around my age that's super serious into those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, that's a big thing. We're, we're weirdos. We, most people don't care this much about movies. They're not into movies as much as we are. Isn't that weird? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I guess. You know, what's kind of funny is like, just, just how like, I don't think it's funny, but just like how like, I don't know, one like one dimensional people are getting and mono the mono it's like everything's in like mo, like a mono culture and everything's yeah. so strange and i mean yeah i mean yeah. most people don't really i'm trying to make this sound not pretentious but it's gonna sound pretentious anyway just say it who cares or elitist what's up with that term elitist does that just mean you have good taste in things yeah i guess <laughs> When See, people I call me rather, elitist, that's what I take it as. Yeah, no, so I would rather be called an elitist than be a fucking schmuck bum, okay, uh-huh. <laughs> with no taste. <laughs> Most people just use movies as entertainment. They just want to get home and watch something that's two hours, more or less, that has bright, pu- not bright puppy colors, but like 
it was easily digestible, easier to follow story and plot, good looking act. <sighs> yeah. Some explosions, some battle scenes, some drama, some romance. And, and it's not like saying those things are bad, but just when they become formulaic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a machine. It's 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 like yes. we're in the midst of like a pop, kind of like in the 60s and 50s where like pop music was a machine. You know yeah, what I mean? It's still a machine. It was like a machine. It's you know it 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 there it's there uh, to create hits. You know what I mean? Yeah. The bottom line, moolah, money. Um. You know, and I think Scorsese just really says says it perfectly in the Harper's Bazaar. I mean, not Bazaar. The Harper's uh, you know, column he wrote, and just how like nostalgic he is and content. The word content. I like the way the way. So, for instance, this sentence. Content became a business term for all moving images, a mm -hmm. David Lee movie, a cat video, a Super Bowl commercial, a superhero sequel, or a series episode. That's what it is. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, when you see, when you have some guy in a suit who's like the CEO or some executive at some production company, they're going to start looking at movies as more like product, right? It's going to be commodified. They're not going to really be educated or care that much about what movies are or can be as an art form. They're, they care about what they can sell and what's going to recoup its cost. Or more importantly, what the algorithm will determine successful. Yeah, and making money, which is the main thing. Yeah. But the thing is, is that most people have engaged with movies as entertainment for the, the entirety of their lives. And if you show them a movie that was slightly difficult to engage with, for example, uh, I mean, last year at Marion Bad, which is not slightly difficult. It's something that takes work. Yeah. People don't want to do that work. And that's their choice. And But that leaves out a lot of experiences and ideas that could be helpful. I mean, this is going to just branch onto a larger conversation about art. But essentially, just to boil it down, they don't want to engage with something that's difficult. They want movies to be easy. You have a conversation with somebody about a movie that you loved, but they hated for whatever reason. And that movie turns out to be some already indie feature that has some actor no one's ever heard of. And the thing is, is that that movie came to them as something that's completely different from what they're used to. I know. But and why not so, keep an open mind, though? Yeah, exactly. They're not really as open-minded because they see movies, again, as something that you just eat like candy. I agree with you. I just think we're kind of stuck in a rut right now. We're probably going through a change. Um, yeah, I hope it's a change because it seems sometimes like it's just like a downward trend into, Yeah. I don't know what it could be, just a completely anti-intellectual. Well, I wouldn't say anti-intellectual. I, I would say it's more like it's getting dwindled down to more attention span oriented as Scorsese put it in the NY time in the New York times uh he said marketed research test audiences mm -hmm. stuff right. like that yeah any of these movies that make a billion or, or two billion dollars now they're all tested made by committees not made by like one individual voice or a few individual. Yeah, it's like a, it's like the fucking Knights of the Round Table of producers and execs. <laughs> right, and there's like market testing, there's polling. You you show your movie a dozen times or maybe more than a dozen. 
to different audiences and see what ending works better. They like this character, if they don't like this character. And they just make sure that the movie is just foolproof when it comes out. There's nothing that no one cannot like about it. So it makes the most amount of money possible. Let me go back to the article again. Sure. Scorsese, he, he asks, what is cinema? He says, Godard, Bertolucci, Antonioni, Birdman, Imamura, Ray, Cassavetes, and Kubrick, and Barda, and Warhol were reinventing cinema with each camera movement and new cut. And he said that he also continues, and more established filmmakers such as Wells, Bresson, and Houston, Visconti, we're re-energized by the surge and creativity around them. So my question is, Boris, with the machine taking hold, are we just in the midst of a change? And instead of us having all those directors, it's just like brands and studios and like streaming services where they're all kind of, there is no creativity among them, only like a synergetic working between them of like algorithms and like entertainment and market research. Did the yeah. streaming platforms just replace directors and producers? They're just gonna find people who are just gonna carry out whatever they wanna make. Someone <laughs> who can just be like, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, sir. Of course, of yeah. course they can do that. And um, it's not gonna be like, like someone who wants to create their own personal vision of what the world is, what they're feeling inside. It's gonna be someone I, who can- I feel like I feel like Ant-Man 3 to the perfection. I, what Scorsese was saying here, like, I agree with him. You agree with him. Do you think sure. we'll see another line of directors like that again? Or do you think the medium has changed so much that we're at the point where, like, nothing's new to us anymore? That it's, it's, it's stale as water. It's old as milk. Sure. I, yeah, I think there's going to be more filmmakers that are still going to make great movies that aren't um you know based on commercial demand and um i think it's gonna be easier maybe for them to get made because movies are i mean i guess the equipment to make movies is easier to find but the thing is it's not just about yeah it's not just about having easier access to equipment it's about creating something that is unique yeah that reminds me it's personal yeah, because, no, I agree, I agree yeah. with you. I'm bringing it to another thing you introduced me to. Mm. And that was, <laughs> that was Scorsese and De Palma on Dick Cavett. Oh, yeah. And they were talking, Scorsese was saying he was too poor to go to film school. Mm. And so he started working there at, you know, NYU. And he could just check out the equipment to make his movies. Whereas, and he had a story to tell from his background. He had a motivation and when like all these rich kids were attending NYU, he had he noticed that they had access to the equipment, but they didn't they couldn't tell a story. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a big thing. It's just like if you don't and it's not even telling a story in the way that people think of conventional stories. It's saying something that's personal and honest. I sound so bitter. I don't know, man. No, I don't think let them do what they want. Let them watch Disney movies. I don't care. No, I See, this is my big fucking it. Sorry, this is my big <laughs> issue. When somebody like Scorsese calls out the machine, yeah, is that younger people and probably people a little younger than him say, "Oh, you're just a bitter old man." 
You're, mm-hmm. you're leaving the lead. They throw out all these terms and taking, and instead of taking for what he has to say seriously, they shut him down because he's going against the grain of the mass consensus, right? Yeah. So I think it's good he's questioning this because if nobody's questioning it, then we're going along for the ride and we're just going to keep on getting the same garbage over and over. Right. So I think younger people, specifically around our age and younger, should be looking at Scorsese's article and agreeing with it and being like, yeah, man, we are entering a different era of streaming and filmmaking, but that doesn't mean the artistry should die. Right. You know I mean? They should be questioning it. Younger people and our age should be questioning I don't think you sound bitter at all. I just think I just think you're angry that the that our uh, intellectual thought process when it comes to filmmaking is changing. Yeah, it's almost like you're in a herd and the herd is going off the cliff and you don't want to go off the cliff. And you're like, I got to get off this cliff or I got to get off because we're going to go off a cliff. And they're like, fuck it, man. We're going to keep going, dude. It feels too good. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I mean. Uh, to get personal, I guess it's just like at a certain point in my life, man. Like I was like, I don't know. When, when they start getting into different kinds of movies, it's just like at a certain point, what's being offered in the mainstream isn't enough for some people. Yeah, I agree. For it me, starts yeah. feeling empty, so you start reaching out and going, "What else can I watch?" And if you love movies the most over any other art form, maybe it covers all types of art forms anyway you start reaching out to artists to people you haven't heard of or you haven't heard people talk about that other people might recommend to you like oh you should check out Fellini oh you can check out Kurosawa or Ozu Kobayashi it's a and then you start watching those movies and then you're like oh there's something here that I can't find anywhere else or, or this makes me feel more this connects with me I connect this it tells me something yeah. wanting to hear that I needed to hear to feel less alone some people feel the need to reach out because I don't know at least for me I don't know for you but I was always like a lonely kid who just <clears throat> who had some sort of an emotional deficiency in some way and I couldn't connect with people I connect with movies and yeah it's that's gonna lead me to weird places right it's gonna lead you to <laughs> watching arty movies made in black and white subtitles yeah and you're gonna connect with that more than you're gonna connect with you know whatever no i agree with last movie came out over on a thousand screens or whatever or you do it you just like you know you look up scorsese you watch one movie by him and you go like who was he inspired by and you know that is you know fellini you know who who was fellini inspired by like realism and then you start just branching out you know and but yeah i agree with you man I think I think taking movies seriously as like we do and the arty side in quotation marks, I think you do have to be a little, as you said, emotionally disconnected from the from the outside world. I wouldn't say that. I said that was my case. I feel like a lot of people are just perfectly healthy and like art movies. It's not really But Boris, what director is like emotionally like, you know what I mean? Like well adjusted. You know what I mean? There's not that many like Yeah, definitely. You know, I had to name a couple and they all make like movies that I'm just like, they're action movies. They're all, you know, they're, they're the equivalent of the jock in high school 
you know, and I just like the way Scorsese puts it though about Fellini, how he goes into, you know, 1963, eight and a half, Fellini, what led up to it, La Strada, La yeah. Dolce Vita, you know, and <clears throat> and how he can, I don't know, he kind of like takes the reader back there and the impact of it, how, how he attended like eight and a half and it was like on Broadway, you had to get reserved tickets, you know what I mean? And such a big deal. That's like, I know they're not the same people nor in the same ballpark at all, but that's like if a Wes Anderson movie was like opening on Broadway, you know what I mean? And you had yeah, sort of. Tickets, I mean, you know? yeah, I mean, the last movie that I can feel, I feel was, can be considered an art movie, but again, I don't like using the term art movie or art house. It just creates a distance whenever you talk about those yeah. kinds of movies with uh, people because they go yeah. like, ooh, art house. That's uh, not something I'm I gotta, interested in. I gotta read the screen? What? You know what I mean? Yeah, but um, which one? I was gonna mention Parasite. The last, came out two years ago and it was the last movie that could be considered something that's not, you know, traditional Oscar bait that won Best Picture. Yeah. Not only won Best Picture, right. but... Yeah. Okay, I could see that. I, I just... We'll, we'll debate we'll debate Parasite because we right. disagree yeah, I mean, on it. Do we? I, think, I know we disagreed. <laughs> no, I think it's a good movie. I think yeah. Parasite's a good movie. Okay, don't get me wrong. Sure. But Bong Joon-ho has two other... He has... That's like fourth on my list of Bong Joon-ho movies. Sure. Yeah. I just don't I'm, think it's... I don't think it was best picture worthy. Hey, that's a hot take. I know, but I mean, like, I just don't. But then against the Oscars, I, I don't take it seriously, but it's okay. a good movie. Okay. I agree with you, but I mean, in terms of, you know, eventually, uh, doesn't matter. Anyway, my point was that. Save it for Parasite. When we talk about Parasite, we'll save it. We'll save it. Sure. Anyway, <laughs> my point was that uh, Parasite was the last movie that came out. That could be considered a quote unquote art house movie that was massively popular. I mean, not massively in terms of how other movies are massively popular, but it made more money and got more critical acclaim than those kinds of movies usually get. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And the thing is that those kinds of movies don't come along that often, right? It's just like, it's it's like, every, of, like 15, yeah. 20 years, maybe. Yeah, and like I, like before that, it's hard to think of a movie that like was... Like Amores Perros, maybe? Sort of. It wasn't even that popular, though. I think yeah, it's sort it of... It was like, more like, like go have to go back maybe to Pulp Fiction. Maybe Pulp Fiction or um, The Last Buddha. Is that the Bertolucci movie? Yeah, that wasn't that popular. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was like Best Picture and everything, didn't it? Yeah, but it wasn't like a huge cultural thing that people would talk about. Oh, no, once upon a heard of in one way. no, no, once upon a time in Hollywood. I mean, that, I don't that, think it's dude, the same thing. Dude, think, dude, that 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 went around, dude, like a bad smell, dude. Everybody was like, "Have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood?" I'm like, "Yeah, I have," and though like, it's good, and I'd be like, and I would be like, "It's not that good." And then I watched it again, and I was like, "This movie's a masterpiece." But, but um. No, you're you're right. You know, like Pulp Fiction, probably right. I, I'd imagine, yeah. and um, you know, no, I mean, it's very rare for a movie. Maybe The Tree of Life. Maybe. I know it was. I wasn't like huge, but like on in in terms of the art house circuit. You yeah. Know, 
I remember that was a big deal. I remember I had I had to drive like fucking 15 miles from my house to go see that movie. I believe that, yeah. For 20 miles. And there was only one showing. I was like, what the fuck? This movie should be everywhere. Yeah, I don't think that movie crossed into the mainstream as much, but yeah, it was definitely popular for what it was. Um, but anyway, like essentially, the thing is that there's not that many movies. Like you said, one comes along every 20 years. Yeah. I can cross over into the mainstream and be sort of, I don't know, I don't know if compared to the Beatles, but it's something that everyone can enjoy and everyone thinks is great. Yeah, it kind of becomes like public domain. It's in the air and it's just like, you should just, yeah, there's, it, we all agree on it. I don't know, it's weird. Yeah, another point I want to get back to is that Scorsese names a couple of directors in his articles that back when like John Huston, Sam Fuller, that back in their day, they weren't considered artists, right? They were considered just filmmakers. And for Sam Fuller, especially, he was sort of um, a B-movie B-movie, yeah. Filmmaker, Powery Row. He would make movies with yeah. like $60,000. Like, so strange that, like, Shot Corridor. Like, just, yeah. like, just, yeah. Unconventional for their time. Unconventional, yeah. And technically advanced at a point where no other filmmaker was really working in that same kind of thematic aesthetic level. For Sam Fuller, I'm speaking more about. John Huston was also. Oh, yeah. So that kind of director, he was more mainstream, was more popular, but no yeah. one really considered him an artist back when he was making yeah. movies. <clears throat> Falcon 50s, 60s. He was more of um, a studio filmmaker who just, yeah, yeah, who just make movies every one or two years, working yeah. from somebody else's script sometimes. Sometimes he'll write his own stuff. Yeah, it was that, it was that like 50s, 60s uh, studio yeah. system and yeah and like 40s and like kind of like john ford did they consider john ford an artist in that era though like in the 40s and 50s it, feel, I mean, it felt it felt like peter bogdanovich once he made his documentary film that like in his book uh-huh. that he was like no oh, we should take this guy seriously in the 70s probably like but, i think a lot of foreign filmmakers and critics were quicker to call john ford or howard hawks yeah or william wyler artists because of the auteur theory partly also yeah, because yeah, they yeah. had a different appreciation for what these artists were doing with the camera. And that, yeah, we didn't have here really. It wasn't until those um, um, French those ideas of auteurship were being yeah. made up in France that, that people here sort of started to wake up to what was being done in their own country. Yeah. And yeah, yeah like, it, yeah, it's, it's weird. I think it's still happening it in is one happening. way or another. It yeah, just it, takes time for people to realize what's in front of them because it, like, it's so hard to get away from the conversation that's happening around you, I think. Even if you try to like keep yourself insulated from that, it still gets in somehow. It does. It's weird, man. Yeah, I agree with you. It's, you know, it's so strange how much like the Europeans back in the 50s and, you know, in the 60s, how much they looked at us. Yeah. And then by the seventies came around, we were looking at them and mm-hmm. going, Oh, it's so weird how we they were like counteracting each other and mimicking each other, you know? Right. Yeah, it's um <laughs> it goes in cycles or in some way. But yeah. it seems like I don't know, like since the nineties really, there hasn't been another movement. Well, I think that's just the impact of globalization, right? 
Yeah, it's probably it. Corporization, commodification, et cetera. It just, um, technology for sure, the internet. Yeah. It just seems yeah. like, like like creating a natural movement now, like the French new wave, the German new wave. We should do the iPhone wave. No, <laughs> um, but <laughs> um, anyway, I think I think I had a larger point I had to get to, but I forgot. Uh, but yeah, even as recently as, as now, like Brian De Palma, back in his day, people just called him like a violent exploitation. Yeah. Pervert. All kinds of things. But no, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I, I look at the Palma films and I recently started like going like, man, De Palma is like a genius, man. Like, you know. Yeah. Like, in terms of the camera, like there's no one else even now. And there's few people right. who can edit and conceive of, of a sequence that is as, as, um, what's the word? It just like gets cinematic. You couldn't do what he does in any other art form yeah. that that's what it comes to down really it's just like a lot of movies could just be books or they could be plays yeah but yeah brian de palma is at a top level or, or he used to be that he would make movies that were in terms of craftsmanship they were art another and, question is for you is do you think that we're just in like kind of like that weird like in the 20s and 30s and 40s like the musical era? Are we just in another musical era? Is that what comic book movies are and big studio and you know what I mean? If it feels like that's where we're in right now. It feels different because they've taken over the business. Like I was looking at the top 10 uh, highest grossing movies of the last five years and they're mostly Disney properties. They're either Star Wars or Marvel. Ugh. Or uh, what's the other franchise they bought? I forgot. But anyway, it's it's um it's been taken over. It's like the same company, the same studio is producing seven out of ten of the most highest grossing movies and creating a need in the audience to watch those kinds of movies and identify those movies as quality in a way that, that hadn't happened before. Before there was a, there was more studios, six, seven, who would release the top grossing movies, and now it just it's a monopoly. I mean he goes on here, Scorsese also says that there is something happening in cinema, right? With all those directors and films coming out. He also alludes it to rock and roll at the time, like Dylan's first electric albums. And then mm -hmm. it was the White Album and Let It Bleed. They were about anxiety and despair, but they were thrilling, transcendent experiences. So do, do you think that we have to have music to, it feels like in order for films to get back to a place something like catastrophic has to happen in society where things kind of change you know what i mean yeah they flip sort of thought that before some sort of like you said a catastrophic event like the second world war produced all kinds of art that was different that was new and exciting and innovative yeah. and then the italians were coming out of mussolini Right, and that happened all over. Though I mean, sometimes it takes ten or yeah. twenty years to get there for the like for the French New Wave, for it to happen in Germany. I mean, I think it started happening immediately in Japan after the war ended. They were quick though. The Japanese, they're smart. Yeah, I think it just not just the Japanese, but all of Asian cinema produced like a huge groundswell of, that not only reckoned with the past but went into the future in some innovative way.
I don't know how they got there. I think it just, you have to just put yourself in that place where you just have to make something or you'll, or you'll die. <laughs> All the talking and thinking and writing about it isn't going to do as much as actually making something. No, no, it's well put, man. I agree. It's just, I, I, you know, I heard somebody say like, where's all the great art that we were, that, that was supposed to come out of the Trump and Trump when, once yeah. he got out of office, where is it at? And I, and I, it got me thinking, I was like, yeah, it's kind of hard to make, especially nowadays. Like it's kind of hard. Like, when are we going to see that thing that, that is the product of all the trauma from the Trump administration, right? I it got think, me thinking like, well, when? we have to think also in terms of film, not just film, but who gets to make art. People who get to make art have money. Their parents have money. They get, they have to go to good schools. They get masters from NYU and Columbia. And then when they want to make their first feature, the first short, they have their parents or their family to give them funding. And people who are actually affected by the Trump era don't have that. They just suffered in silence. <laughs> exactly. And then, so... Um, and then, yeah, got you, you spoke about my point. It's just like, it's kind of hard to make something good when the machine is like so in control and it's so like, yeah, that's part of it. But also there's no entryway for people who might actually have something new to say, to say it because just to get there is difficult, not just financially, but in terms of getting a group of collaborators around you. I think that's the most important part. Yeah, definitely. And that's that's hard. That's really hard to do. To have like the like the people with this like not the same vision, but the same like outlook, kind of. Yeah, they're capable of understanding, even if they don't agree with you, what you might be after, right? Yeah, like something is happening here, and they have to be a part of it. I don't know how to explain, you know. Yeah, it's just someone who, I don't know, to put it simply, just gets you. I don't know. It's just you someone who... Some strange way. Who, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just, if there's any great art from the Trump era, it's not going to be made in terms of, I don't think it's going to be like a movie that yeah. has a $10 million budget. It's going to be something small. It's going to be like a poem. It's going to be a photograph. It's going to be something that's probably made, I don't know, like on YouTube or something. A TikTok video, an impression. That's what we get. A fucking impression. That's it. That's all we got, huh? (laughs) Maybe. I mean, I feel like we're missing something. We're missing eight and a half. That's what we're missing. No, but we're also missing something about... Scorsese? Not Scorsese, but like what he wrote about. I mean... I mean, I think, yeah, he wrote about content. The answer to the algorithms and content is uh, curation, right? And he, he mentioned movie, Criterion Channel. Um, he talks about the importance of curation. Yeah, I mean, that's super important. I'd rather watch something that's handpicked by somebody. Right, I think, yeah, he's right about that. If you want someone who doesn't really watch a lot of, um, I guess I'm forced to use it again, our movies, the best way is to not um, castigate them for being ignorant and and choosing to watch whatever Star Wars over anything else. But the way in is to like lead them down a path where you can go, if you like Star Wars, maybe you can watch this. And it's a, it's a little different Star Wars, but maybe you'll like it. Maybe you'll see something similar at least on Star Wars in this movie. Yeah. That will lead them back 
to something else, maybe something that's different from what they're used to. Okay. And that's the way to, I don't know, to expand the audience for these kinds of movies. It's not really, I don't think we'll really get anywhere by like sneering at them and being like, oh, they're so dumb. It's like Marvel, it's the same movie. It's just like, they, I think they know it's the same movie. I think they know it's a formula. They just like it. I think it's important to define boundaries. I mean, for all of us in terms of um, how much we identify with the things we love. I mean, for them, I mean, I'll suppose them, but like for people who are really diehards about Star Wars or Marvel movies, who can't hear any criticism of them without trying to call the other person an elitist or gatekeeping or whatever. It's, um, and for us to just be reactionary against that by calling those people what, what would we call them? Like criticizing their choice to just consume oh, mainstream yeah. movies. Yeah. But we should just try to, I guess, all of us be more generous and curious and open-minded with the things we watch and the art we consume. Because otherwise it's just gonna be an endless back and forth. But I'm sure that for many people, there is no, nothing else than watching mainstream movies and for us yeah i don't know it's just trying to convert people i guess to the cause convert i I don't know i just think that you know i guess there's a niche for everyone now but it feels like the niche that we're into it's it's not really there i don't know but maybe well i think also it's 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 good that there's so much like if we're born 40 years ago and we wanted to watch one of um, Fritz Lang's movies that he made in the 50s, what would we do? Wait for it on TV, man. Yeah, wait for it on TV. Hope there's an art house cinema near you that's playing uh, like all the old Fritz Lang movies. And now we can just find anything we want to watch from any period of time that was ever made and watch it. And that's a good thing for sure. It is a good thing. There's only more literate the scary thing is that even though we have access to all these things, we're still being like marketed and target researched for things that like I want no interest in. I don't know. It's weird. Like I Sure. Yeah. I mean like we're the all, garbage, we're all up. Weird. the garbage still goes up to the top, even with all the access. For sure. I mean, yeah, that's what it is about now. It's just treating every person as a as a product. And that's going to come along with that, for sure. But anyway, it's, it's uh, I think, Criterion Channel movie. All these other resources are going to help create a bigger audience for, for these kinds of movies. And um, that wasn't there before. I mean, all you had before, like even like 20 years ago, was like you could try to pirate it online or go to Blockbuster and try to find it or like, you know, try to order it from some weird catalog from Japan. <laughs> No, and now it's here at movie stores, man. That's yeah. Cool. Those were so important, I think, in my opinion. But definitely. And um, well, you could find good stuff there, but also there was a limit to what you could find. There's a limit. And then the people, I would like to talk to the people that work there. Yeah. We just recommend like stuff. All right. Let's get in eight and a half here. What'd you think of it? I can see why people watch this multiple times. It's probably, it's, it's one of the best films of all time. 
I think it's one of Fellini's best. It's not my favorite by him, but it's I can see why Scorsese loves it so much. I mean, just the story of it. A, a director struggling to make his next film, who's also struggling in his marriage mm-hmm. with his mistress at a midlife crisis at some point, right? It just, but then he's also like struggling with the idea of humanity and purpose, right? You know? I don't think he ever, uh, I think he's kind of a selfish guy, narcissistic. I don't think he ever thinks about humanity. No, but, like humanity as in like, he thinks of himself, like the human. Yeah, like, yeah and that, like yeah, totally. about, like, The purpose, like with the humanity of like, what's the point of all this? Mm-hmm. I've risked everything. I put everything on the line. And now he's like going through memories of like his, his life and putting it all together and questioning himself philosophically. Yeah. I mean, this uh, in half is a movie that even Fellini at that point takes on unconventional an unconventional approach. It's um, Guido played by Marcello Mastriani. And um, what was I going to say about him? Yeah, he's uh, he just sort of floats through the entire movie. It's not he's never really very um, t- he never really he's never really taking action or trying to do anything. He just sort of floats around in self reflection, yeah. sort of flowing between real life and dreams and fantasies that illuminate his interior life and how he. <laughs> He sort of feels like, right? Like there's sort of a senselessness to life and making movies and art. There's sort of a, a, a you can think about it in a nihilistic way that there's no point to doing any of it, either making movies or living. And he gets to this point, right, in the movie where he's just sort of trying to figure out if it's worth going on. Yeah. Yeah, he struggles yeah. with the idea of the artistic process. What's the point of the artistic process? Mm-hmm. I, I like, I you know, Fellini has a way of like putting together stories that halfway through you're you're kind of questioning it and you mm-hmm. know what's happening, and then at the end you sort of go, "Oh man, I just learned a lot about you know person or myself, you know, or about life." Yeah, what'd you learn? Eight and a half? Yeah. I think that every man wants a mother and a whore for a woman. Um, and that's, that's the, that's like, you know, that's, that's like, that's the intricacies of, of manhood, I think. Overall, I think it's probably, it's probably just like a, a weird, it's like a memory of like his life. I don't know, a specific time and place of his life. And now he's sort of reflecting at like what's led up to it. Mm-hmm. It's self-reflective in a way that that you don't usually get. I mean, it's sort of hiding beside behind a character. But I think a lot of it's just directly what Fellini thought and felt about making movies and living life and his relationships to people. And um, ultimately, at the end, seems sort of hopeful, right? I mean, what happens at the end? What do you think happens? At, do they all get in the spaceship and leave? Maybe, but I think it's more of um, 
sounds cliche, but sure, yeah, celebrate celebration of life in terms of that he, yeah, I mean, like before he, like the big dance starts and the band comes in, um, Guido crawls under the table and shoots himself in the chest, right? He just gives up, correct? No, yeah, he gives up and his mom watches. <laughs> so you can either take that as, um, by that point in the movie, you don't know if this fantasy is a dream, nightmare, maybe it's all of them combined, but it's a affirmative that life is something that's meant to be lived and celebrated with other people, even if you don't feel like life is worth living or art is worth making, you feel like it's worth doing anyway because it's it's a way of proving you're alive and that's a good thing, right? It is. I took it as symbolism as he's killing his old self and like rebirthing into something new. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's an, uh, like an unlimited amount of interpretations you can have yeah. for what happens in a movie, and that's why it's so rewatchable. And then and he's like, he's like, tear down the set. This is over, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's the end of that like project he was working on, you know, that time and space. Yeah. I mean, thinking about the way this movie is made in terms of the filmmaking, ninety-nine point eight percent of filmmakers couldn't pull it off because Guido is so ambivalent about what he's going through, it really rests on the filmmaking to carry the movie and which it does in spades. In terms of the staging and blocking and editing and the cinematography, it's, yeah, it's like you said, it's one some of the best in all of cinema history, simply because it just seems so preordained in a way. It seems like it couldn't have been done any other way. Each shot, it's every time the camera moves, every time there's a cut, it just seems perfect. It just seems like there could have been it does seem perfect, yeah. And better um, way to express whatever yeah. expressing. The, the music, the opening shot, the dream sequence in the yeah. car, baiting to get out. All of a sudden he's floating in the sky, mm -hmm. you know, and he's got he's got a rope around his ankle. People are telling him to come down. It's just one of those things that are it's a pretty good representation of the human element of dreaming. You know, I don't know how to describe it. Oh, yeah. I mean. And what it means. I don't know. I think it's, he captures, I mean, I don't know about you, but in terms of, of speaking something for myself, it's just like my day, it's just feel of, you know, sort of daydreaming and fantasizing about, about things that like aren't necessarily even possible. They're just things you wish. You're just either like sort of reflecting on your past or sort of dreaming and fantasizing about the future, the future right? in some way. And that's what he captured in this movie, I think. It's just, there's real life and then there's the dreams Guido has and the fantasies and they capture a sort of portrait of where he is and what he's about in that moment. But I think you could do that for anybody alive. Right? I mean, I don't know about you, you can chime in, but a lot of people I feel like are either daydreaming part of their day or sort of recalling the past or fantasizing. No, I agree with you. There You're purely in the present? Three different, uh, no, never. Unless I'm in a good conversation like this one. Okay. Or like if I'm fascinated with something I'm in the present, but, or interested, but yeah, I think there's three different types of people. Reflection, daydreaming, future fantasy, Mm -hmm. I think Fellini like uh, it's just such a weird movie I, I can't even describe like 
like yeah like what's real what's not i like his depiction of women you know or his idea of women oh i knew you would you know what i mean no because it's not it's not healthy (laughs) yeah yeah he's not healthy at all yeah it's um so it's so um so sad you know like his my favorite character in the movie is Louisa, his wife. Mm-hmm. I like her character a lot. I like the the dailies reels scene when they're watching like the reels of the auditions of the women and, and the, the women who might potentially play her in a movie and what that means. And I don't know, she's probably the most vulnerable character. There's the critic, you know, that's very like astute and very like condescending and mean for guido his script and he's like mm-hmm. it has no purpose this and that and yeah which is a you know you could say that someone could say that about this movie i think it's yeah. also like a interconnected series of episodes that make no thematic cohesion yeah. i mean what is no. it do you have anything i agree to say? it's probably like one of the first movies to not be a movie like the first movie just to float you think I think so. I don't think there's that many beforehand that felt like this. Maybe, maybe not popular feature film, but yeah, maybe, maybe like the Four Hundred Blows. Maybe. Nah. You know, I don't think of it the same way. It feels it's like a it's like a story of, of just not rags to riches, just rags. You know, mm-hmm. just like, <laughs> he's like sleeping in the street and everything, and it doesn't feel like. Like, is this my life? You know what I mean? But he's only like 12 and you're like, what the heck? You know, flotations. But I think a lot of people might be intimidated by watching it in half. They haven't seen it before, but because, yeah, people hear about oh, the greatest movies of all time and then they think they'll either be bored or confused. But this movie isn't... Um, boring or confusing i think no i don't think it is I and they shouldn't be crazy. scared of um watching it if they haven't seen yeah. it before it, the great beauty did you see that one yeah a long time ago yeah that one bob fousey's all that jazz yeah definitely influenced they just, yeah they just don't it's just like a weird time and space thing where it's just like this is just a person's current state and there's no like really central story leading them <coughs> from one thing to another it feels like this movie is just one big like forgiveness prayer it feels like it's very like soaked in like guilt and soaked in like um reflection and but then also he's making a movie and he's like i'm gonna show you the spaceship but i'm not gonna go up you know what i mean mm-hmm. show you what i'm creating the devil it's obviously hard to talk about this movie in a way that devil the devil inside every creative person i guess i don't know it's so crazy this movie out of his movies from that era where do you put eight and a half would you say it's like a movie pessimistic again in terms of his entire career oh let's think knights of caveria it's an uplifting ending for the most part la strada isn't as much (laughs) That was and, sad. That was yeah, oh. yeah. I mean, uh, it, yeah, I mean, Fellini was never scared of ending a movie on a down note. Uh, El Bidone, tragic ending, heartbreaking. La Dolce Vita, if I recall, is just melancholic, 
I like that one. I think that's that's it's a good companion to eight and a half. Yeah, definitely. It's um, I think he sort of broke through to another level of Atlante Vita. Yeah. And then eight and a half even broke another level. But um, he's never uh, shy or reticent about showing all aspects of life. Sometimes it's infuriating to be alive and heartbreaking and sad. Yeah. Sometimes it's very joyful. Joyful. And La Strada and Knights of Cabiria, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's um, it's about the constant conflict. Constantly asking why is it worth it? Is it not worth it? Is all the bad things worth the the small, short, good things we might feel and experience? It's just, uh, I mean, just like, I think he's always at the core, he's very melancholic and wistful, maybe. I agree. I was thinking of the last picture show right now, how that reminds me of Eight and a Half. Yeah, and going back to Ibiteloni, that's also very, um, it's a reflective, sort of nostalgic movie about his youth. Yeah. Just about just being, not even his youth, but about being young in general. It's just, it, Looking back at that period of a person's life where you just don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what course your life's going to take. And then his other movies, yeah, his other movies, as as he gets older, he makes movies dealing with middle age. The way he uses people, I I just love the way Fellini uses, like, the actors. Like, he sees them for what they are, you know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Like Guido, there is no other person I could picture playing Guido. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Like that's, it's Marcello, definitely. All right then. I, I think I think we've gotten down to eight and a half of what we can because it's a very. Oh yeah, let's finish this up, Boris. All right, Bordy. We dissected eight and a half. We went over Scorsese, his essay. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Yes, we're in a weird time, but I still have optimism. Me Nevertheless, too. Yeah, see, you got optimism. Yeah, I got optimism, all right. Yeah, it's going to be fine. We'll get a new wave of filmmakers, hopefully. Dear God, hopefully. Hopefully. Nevertheless, uh, we'll be back next week, hopefully in person, guys. And uh, well, this has been another edition of Movies. Our dead. Bye.